are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 157 on the Mineola Swingers Club, part one. Woo! This is a friggin' doozy, man. Yeah. A doozy. <laughs> if you have not watched the do- documentary on Max called How to Create a Sex St- Scandal, you should go watch it. It's mind-blowing. Before they listen to this? No, let's wait till the end. Wait till part I don't two know. comes out. I don't know if we can do it as good as the documentary did. No, we can't. We'll we'll set your sights really low, and then you go in and watch that, and you'll be like, whoa, this is wild. Or watch that first, and then come here for extra information and opinions. True. <laughs> Either way... You, so you need to watch it because it is crazy. They did it really well. It's three-parter, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. wowzers, it blew my mind. And anything with like sex and children and all of that stuff, I'm like, not for me. This one is not super aggressive. And yeah, it's not like super graphic. So yeah. so you'll be fine. Yeah, I started watching it today. And I was only going to watch the first like episode since we were going to do this because you said, you know, that's pretty much all you need to know um, for this part one section. And I somehow managed to squeeze in all three episodes (laughs) before we started recording just now because I could not stop. (laughs) It's so like it's just it's wild. And I will preface it by saying there are a lot of people and it's going to be hard to kind of follow, but I tried to lay it out in such a way and we'll keep reminding you who these people are. Cause there's a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of names. Um, yeah. But even whenever I watched the documentary, I had to like watch it. I think I watched it two or three times because I was just trying to be like, what is happening here? Like, this is insanity. But it I was really also is. doing other things. And then I catch something and be like, what did she just say? <laughs> yeah i wasn't doing other things so i don't need to watch it three times i watch watched it <laughs> yeah Ugh, boy okay well before we get into it um we are very excited we launched a new merch store through t public um i've been working with uh one of their customer service reps there they are fantastic they are not like teespring they respond and are like competent it's amazing so and you're able to talk to a real human <laughs> human being i actually had a phone call with them that's how real they were um and this i really like this website because we have three logos out there we have our original og mystery history podcast logo um that you know has been with us since nom Then we have the True Crime Till I Die logo with the skeleton in the bathtub. And then we also just have the microphone logo um, that doesn't have like basically the back black border around it. And the cool thing about this is you can make whatever shirt or sweatshirt you want. They have a bunch of colors. Um, You can select whatever color you want, what cut and style you want. And right now there is a sale going on. And it's going until the 24th, 24th, which is uh, Sunday. So get them while they're hot. 
uh, shirt is $16 right now and you can't beat that. Mm-hmm. I think a hoodie's like 32 when they're regularly 39. Um, it's just, I really am impressed with the quality that they're showing us here. Yep. So there's a link in our bio on Facebook or Instagram. You can also search on T Public for Mystery History Podcast and it will pull up our items. So um, if anybody needs the link, let us know and we can send that to you. But it is on our link tree, um, the link to the merch store. And they have more than just T-shirts and like hoodies and sweatshirts, right? You can get get other items. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Stickers, phone cases, whatever your little heart desires. Mm -hmm. So check it out. Check it out. While it's Um, on sale. That's right. I love a deal. (laughs) And 16 bucks for a shirt, like... Where can you get yeah. that anymore? Nowhere. Nowhere. <laughs> uh, and that's the problem with Teespring. We had our the stuff was very expensive, I felt like. Uh, so this is like their shipping per- yeah. cost was redonkulous. <laughs> yeah, it was like per item. So this I, I don't know. I haven't gotten that far yet, but I'm hoping it, I know that if you spend over 80 bucks, shipping's free. When with uh, Teespring, the more that you added, the more the shipping was. So yeah, (laughs) shipping Uh, just costs more and more. (laughs) Right. It never. And and I think you had to uh, pay per item, um, which was ridiculous. So there was that. We were very excited about it. And uh, Jamie, uh, the one who does all of our graphics, our unofficial manager, she is working on a graphic uh, for Halloween to post on there. And then I think my brother is also um, working on some stuff too. We're hoping to add more logos and options for you guys over time, but we've got those three up there now, ready to go. Go get them. Go get them. The next thing we, (laughs) we do have a TikTok, a TikTok. You're like, this is on our business. And I was like, why? Yeah, (laughs) we do. We do have a TikTok and I'm going to try to be better at it. Um, so go follow us at mystery history pod, not mystery history podcast is just pod. Um, I'm going to try to do better at posting on there, uh, little snips of our show. We are eventually going to get to the point where we start showing the videos that we record yeah. one day, um, <laughs> one day that is in our near future. So there's that the last thing episode suggestions we did get a few uh after we released our last episode those are on our list so please send us anything that you would like to hear about serial killers paranormal activities whatever um scandalous situations yeah just weird stuff let's talk about it so that's all about it and just for just so we can get a good baseline here in part one We're going to talk about two of the key players. We're going to talk about Mineola, Texas in general, uh, the Swingers Club and what's going on with that. And then some accusations that were made. Um, And one of the officers, a Texas Ranger, who um, did some interviewing and kind of how that played out. So that's what we're going to talk about in part one. So, Rachel, take it away. Let's set the scene. Let's set it. Margie Easton meets John Cantrell in 1975 when she was 25 years old. 
They had each already been married once and had three kids between them. So it was like so, a Brady Bunch situation. Only three kids, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's, a Brady Bunch yet. <laughs> not yet, but it will be. That's, that's half a Brady Bunch. <laughs> True. They had both been raised in California, and after marrying, they settled in San Francisco and had two children of their own, getting closer to the Brady Bunch, Jacob and John. In 1985, Margie and John got licensed as foster parents, and they started fostering and adopting children. Mm -hmm. The family was known for being religious and fostering kids who had emotional problems. So they weren't just taking the easy ones. They were taking the, the hard kids, too. They were career foster parents. In 1991, foster families received up to $3,760 a month to care um, for children with serious behavioral problems. And at times, Margie and John would have up to 16 so that's children. Per kid. Per yeah. Kid. So let's just get the old calculator out here and let me just do math real quick. Did they have 16 foster children or 16 kids total? So I think they had, they, it's kind of hard to like figure out. I don't know how many of those foster kids they adopted into like their own family, because I know that a lot of them they did that with. So I don't know if at one point they don't get as much money or they get like a bonus. If you adopt a kid, I don't really know. Um, So I think at that point they had like 16 foster children that they would have running around and isn't there a limit on that you would i mean they have that in school right like that there's a limit to how many teach teachers can teach in a class i don't know yeah like how many kids you can have per class exactly that math let's just say they had their highest number at 16 that would be 60 grand a month they're getting paid now back that up and do it for 11 okay so that would be $41,360 a month. A month. Let's, okay. Let's just times that by 12 a Rooney. That's $500,000 a year. That's insane. And that fluctuates with however many. So, of course, give me 37 children. Right. So Please. they at minimum had 11 and at mm-hmm. most had 16. That's yeah. just crazy. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't either. <laughs> That's too many freaking kids, man. Yeah. <laughs> Margie and John decided to move from California to Mineola, Texas, which is located in Wood County. They did that in 2004, and they moved into a 5,000-square-foot lake house on Lake Brenda with five of their youngest children. By that time, they had adopted a total of 27 children. Yeah. I feel like the payout wouldn't be as good once you adopt them, right? Because then they're technically yours. I don't know. Yeah, I don't Um, think you get paid for kids after you adopt children. Right. Hmm. Uh, Usually Um, you have to pay to adopt children. Right. I don't know. It's wild. 27 children. You'd think after like the first 10... They'd be like, you really want to do this? Another one? Like, That's a lot got- of kids to go through your home. They must have adopt- or, uh, fostered some older kids mm-hmm. in there, too. 
Minial, Texas is described by most as a conservative, God-fearing town of about 5,600 people. (laughs) It's primarily filled with antique stores and Baptist churches. Margie thought it would be a good place for them to raise their kids. In California, they had one at one point brought 16 children into their home, most of whom were emotionally troubled, and the state would pay Margie and John to take care of them. So, so that was that was their business in California, and now they're basically just moving their business to Texas, right? Yep. So now, shortly after moving, a news article was published on August 11th, 2004 by Gary Edwards. And Gary Edwards, if you watch the documentary, he is a hoot. He's a hoot <laughs> Uh, Hey, he's a regular columnist, and he titled his news article, Sex in the City, in the Mineola Monitor, which was the newspaper there, which revealed that there was a swingers club located within the city. The club was called The Retreat, and it had 12 rooms, two hot tubs, a karaoke machine, stereo, a big screen TV, a sex swing, which you gotta have, and lots and lots of beds. In the article, <laughs> Edwards said, We'll do the operators of the facility a favor, and we won't say where it's located for now. If they just quietly move out into the country, we'll try and forget they infiltrated our town with their set of moral standards. So he is using some fighting words. He really is, man. That was some threatening business. And, of course, the people of Mineola, they were absolutely outraged. Couldn't believe it. Because they're a bunch of conservatives. Could you imagine being in that town and being a part of that swingers club and then that article coming out? You would be shitting in your pants. Oh, yeah. Be like, that wasn't like all your neighbors are going to find out and they are going to burn you at the stake, man. (laughs) Right. Well, and in Texas, swingers clubs are legal. As long as nobody is soliciting or paying for sex. So you can gather and have sex with whoever you want to. uh, As long as they're consenting adults. Until the article was published, the retreat had been kind of like an open secret. Kind of like you said, there were people there that were part of it that didn't really want it to get out. And it was located in the former Mineola Hospital next to the Mineola Monitor newspaper. Where (laughs) Gary Edwards published his tale. And membership included locals as well as people from Tyler, Texas, Dallas, Texas, and Louisiana. So, I mean, that's a pretty far footprint. Yeah, it is. Russell and Sherry Adams, they were the owners of the club. They lived up from or up the road from it. On a Friday night, they could have anywhere between 15 to 30 swingers. Everyone had to be vouched for and brought in by someone already a member of the club. So you couldn't just like come knocking on the door. Sherry would provide a snack buffet at night and breakfast burritos on Saturday and Sunday mornings. She said that everyone would get together, watch movies, and then pair off and do their swinging. Margie claims she went to the club, raised her hands in the air, and prayed that it would be closed. Mm. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. And by went to the club, we mean went outside of the club (laughs) during the day (laughs) and raised her hands in the air and prayed. 
Correct. Gary Edwards, reporter for Wood County, compared the Swingers Club to them throwing a stink bomb in a Baptist church with the assumption that everyone would ignore it and continue to pray. He is just a hoot. I tell this you what. This man. I like to he, watch him talk. He is pissed. <laughs> he is pissed. <laughs> oh, I wonder if they were like bad neighbors, you know, think, to the monitor. I think or he just was just... personally affronted by this business. I think everybody was so about Jesus and they just were absolutely appalled that something yeah. like this could be in there. And what an analogy. I mean, a stink bomb, <laughs> a stink in, the bomb in the Baptist church. church. <laughs> that I, I can picture that. Like, that is such a good, he's a good writer. I tell him. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Well, Margie, Gary and the townsfolk, they got their prayers answered. The Swingers Club was shut down in early September of 2004, about one month after the article was published. So they Do you know why work. it was shut down? I think just from straight up, like, guilt. <laughs> <laughs> Good old-fashioned Jesus guilt. <laughs> they yeah. probably were getting threatened and stuff. I'm sure. And, like, being the old hospital and being right next to the freaking newspaper, I mean, that's not very discreet. No, not at that point. <laughs> but, yeah. So, Oh, my gosh. It was closed. At the time of Margie and John's move, uh, the couple was already fostering six kids, but Margie felt like they needed to help more kids. So she took in three more siblings, Shelby, who was four, Hunter, six, and Carly, or I'm sorry, Shelby was not four. How old was Shelby? I think she was seven. I think so, too. I must have hit the wrong button. Shelby was seven, Hunter was six, and Carly was four. And they moved in with them on May 4th, 2004. They had been removed by Child Protective Services after several visits to the family trailer. On the first visit, they found evidence that their mother, Chantel Mayo, and boyfriend, Jamie Pittman, were smoking crack inside the trailer with the children inside. Unfortunately, mm -mm. the second visit didn't prove to be any better. The electric had been turned off and there was no food for the kids to eat. At that point, the kids were removed and placed with Margie and John. That's so sad. So sad. Um, after two days of Shelby Hunter and Carly being with Margie, CPS caseworker Alexa Serlis, who had placed the children in Margie's care, had come by for a visit. Margie told Alexa that she had a lot of experience dealing with sexually abused children, and she believed that Shelby and Hunter had been sexually abused. The children were evaluated by Wilson Renfro, a psychologist assigned to the case, but said nothing, the kids said nothing of sexual abuse. Shelby did say that Jamie, the boyfriend, was mean and that her mother once touched her in an inappropriate manner. But Shelby also told him that she had some trouble telling the truth. And what seven-year-old doesn't have trouble? Like, Well, that was very honest. That was. <laughs> Good for you, Shelby. Be it. Yeah. I mean, that's hard for kids. That is thinking about seven-year-olds, too. Like, my seven, almost seven-year-old so says some, like, pretty outlandish stuff. Mm -hmm. 
And after you ask like three or four follow-up questions, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Well, in, <laughs> in an inappropriate manner could have been smacking her upside the head because she did something wrong. I mean, right. there's a wide range of things that that could have meant, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The accusation. Here we go. Margie and John decided because of the number of children they were caring for, they wanted to look at a property to use as a group home. So they were getting maybe too tight and cramped in their house, but at minimum, they wanted to expand a bit. Margie took Shelby Hunter and Carly to look at the property, and it was none other than the infamous Swingers Club that had been shut down by the community. So she was looking for a place and was checking this one out. Before they entered the property, the children had told Margie they had been inside the building before, which is weird. That is weird. Yes. They had described rooms that they hadn't seen yet, such as flowers being painted on walls. They told Margie that they had danced there, and in return, they would get to eat dinner. Mm. They also told Margie... Jamie, their mom's boyfriend, made them watch pornographic material. Right. Which would just be, like, panic-inducing to hear as someone taking care of these young children. Right. Especially if you already had an inkling in your professional foster mom opinion that they were experiencing children that had been abused, you know, symptoms of that. Yeah. And it's like instant proof to you that they really like this really did happen when they can describe a room mm -hmm. that they hadn't been in yet. And why in the world would children be at that establishment? It, you know what I mean? Right. Because even when I'm sure even when it was a hospital, that was probably like well before. Because right. it's like a little weird building, right? Like it doesn't look like a hospital. It looks like if it was a hospital, it was a hospital in like... 1904 <laughs> yeah or like a an urgent care or a, something like that like a small it's it's not yeah large. it only had the 12 rooms <laughs> mm -hmm. a cps caseworker alexa alexia set up a forensic interview with the children to discuss <clears throat> the allegations they said no one had ever looked at their private parts and they had never watched porn before so there's already some conflicting things. They tell Jamie or Margie one thing, and then they tell the CPS worker another. During this time, Shelby and Hunter were seeing Greg Singleton, and he was a social worker. They were seeing him once a week. He would just check up on the kids, asking normal questions. Are you sleeping okay? Are you eating okay? Um, and then he would also pepper in some questions about sexual abuse. Finally, on June 22nd, Shelby stated that she used to dance with three other women, one of which was her mother, on stage for crowds of men, which she called sickos. Yeah. So flabbergasted by the children's claims after the appointment, she went, Margie, uh, went to the police department in Wood County to file a police report. Margie told them as they were walking through the empty swingers club building that Shelby had recognized rooms and started describing each one. 
She'd asked Shelby if she had been inside the building and she told her that it was where she would dance toward the men in the audience and they would give her money. After the interview, Detective Timothy uh, Prince and Police Chief Jason Shanks went over to the Swingers Club and they found no evidence of the children that they had been there and Margie's claim that she was saying. I don't know what kind of evidence you're looking for there. Um, but Maybe evidence anything. of children. I don't yeah, know. Toys or something like that. I don't know. I don't know either. While the police didn't believe her, they still took the claim seriously and set up a meeting the next day, adding in FBI agent John Brody to the mix at the Child Advocacy Center in Winsboro, which is about 26 miles north of Mineola. And just for reference, this is like, what, about two months after the kids have been with Margie and John? Yeah, so June is when this kind of started, and they got with them in the beginning of May. Yeah, yep. As they were interviewed by a social worker, Hunter denied ever being touched on his privates or having anything done to him. Shelby was a different story. She started in 2002 when she claimed a babysitter's boyfriend molested her, then started going into the claims that had only been uttered out of Margie's mouth so far. She said that they would dance for money and food, play doctor, do weird skits. Some of the skits included Jamie and a guy named Booger Red. Yeah. What a name. Which, what a name. <laughs> she claimed the walls had been covered with pictures of witches and dragons and the grown-ups dressed up in black witch outfits with white face paint. She said her little sister Carly was told to stay outside, but that her six-year-old aunt, Gabby, six-year-old aunt, yeah, <laughs> that is correct, yep. Gabby was also forced to do things. Gabby was Chantel's sister, the daughter of Sheila and Jimmy Sones, and they had made videos of the skits, but she said Jamie had burned those videos. So this was a lot of people that we yeah. just talked about. And when we talk about the three children that were fostering at Margie and John's, Chantel was their mother and Jimmy was Chantel's boyfriend, right? Jamie. 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 Sorry, mm-hmm. Jamie. And then Sheila and Jimmy are Chantel's parents and they are also the parents of Gabby who is six, which is the same age as one of Chantel's children. So that's why it's a little bit like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, and and Gabby Gabby would say in the documentary that she thought of, you know, Shelby Hunter and Carly as like her siblings because they were very similar. They were the same age. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a a definite age gap, but Gabby is essentially their aunt yeah so they're making this sound like it's a family affair here Mm -hmm. like yeah everybody's basically involved right so david or i'm sorry detective prince fbi agent brody and another officer named lucky bolden drove to Chantel and jamie's trailer which is the parents of shelby hunter and carly And they drove there to investigate what they could find. 
The couple denied having anything to do with the swingers club and they allowed them to search their home. They did discover a burn pile near the house where Shelby had said that he had burned videotapes, uh, but they determined that its contents was building material only and there was no videotapes present in the rubble. They did watch some videotapes that they found in the trailer and there was nothing on them indicating any kind of skits or sexual business going on. After that, the investigation was closed in Wood County. So they're like, we got zilch here. Nothing. Yeah, they don't have enough evidence to prosecute anybody. And I think that in the documentary... They were very just, they didn't go into kind of what all they did at Wood County. It was just kind of like, well, Wood County wouldn't touch this. So we went somewhere else, but they did do things. They just couldn't find anything to do anything with. Right. Margie could not accept the case being closed. And she personally took the matter to Smith County which is a neighboring county. Alexia Surleys, the CPS caseworker, also escalated the claims to her supervisor, Christy Hatchell, who passed the story on to Assistant District Attorney Tiffany Wickle in Smith County. Because they're not going to let that just rest. Right. They are working. The kids were still doing interviews with Greg Singleton and uh, psychiatrist Donald Folsom. And on July 18th, Folsom contacted Alexia, letting her know that in the last interview with Shelby, she had said that her mother and Jamie had sexually abused her and Hunter and that she had been forced to do dirty acts and have sex with her brother. Right. Ugh. Singleton reported that Shelby had told him she had to strip at Booger Red's house and at the yellow building that used to be a hospital in Mineola. Booger Red's real name is Patrick Kelly, and he was a friend of Chantel and Jamie's. She claimed they were forced to take silly pills that made her act crazy. Hunter also started talking about sexual abuse. He stated that his mother used to rub his potty and wiener, and she made him touch his sister's genitals and the genitals of other children. So they are starting to say stuff now. And and think about the time. I mean, it's July, and they've been interviewed and interviewed and interviewed continually about this sexual assault business the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. And now they're starting to say things. Yeah. On November 3rd, 2004, in family court, Margie testified claims that were told to her by Shelby, Hunter, and Carly, and Gabby, the child's, the children's aunt, that they were put in a sex kindergarten at Booger Red's trailer and performed sexy dancing for money. Based on the testimony, Gabby Sones was removed from her parents, Jimmy and Sheila. Her new foster mother reported that Gabby had talked about wearing strip clothes and taking pills to make her dance sexy for the boys. And these kids are six and seven years old. Right. 
Texas, Ranger Kemp. Here we go. Tiffany Wickle, the district attorney in Smith County, was shocked that Mineola had closed its case so quickly and decided to call in the Texas Rangers for help. In November 2004, Sergeant Philip Kemp took over the case. Kemp had over 17 and a half years experience on the police force, but had only been involved in one child abuse investigation during that entire career. Which is like, you would think there would be more, but that's good. Yeah, good for him that he didn't have to do that. That would be hard. (laughs) Yeah. Even when having no training on how to interview a child, on November 30th, he interviewed Shelby and Hunter at length. Mm Mm-hmm. Shelby told Kemp that there had been eight children that had performed at the Swingers Club. She had previously said five, now she was saying eight, and that she had worn a pink skirt with blue glitter. Kemp had Margie participate in the interview, and the children sat together several times. So that means that when the Texas Ranger was interviewing these children, they always had Margie in the room, basically. Mm Maybe not always, but they had Margie in the room a lot. And then they also would bring both of the kids in together, maybe to corroborate one another's stories. I don't know why you would do that. Doesn't seem like a good practice. Maybe to try to make them more comfortable. I don't know. But that doesn't make sense. Shelby, this is why it didn't make sense, would try to get Hunter to talk. And he at least a dozen times said he didn't know anything, but ultimately would confess that he had been to Booger Red's trailer, performed in plays at the club, stripped, and taken silly pills. So basically, at first, he wouldn't talk. Mm -hmm. But eventually, all of that came out after being basically persuaded by Shelby to share. Right. So... As you stated, some of the practices that he's been doing don't seem right. And Kemp was getting information, but he was breaking some of those fundamental rules that you use for interviewing children. And of course, he didn't know because he'd only had one child abuse investigation under his belt. One of them was like letting Shelby and Hunter be interviewed together. Um, Elizabeth Loftus, a distinguished professor of psychology, criminology, and law at the University of California at Irvine, said that if two subjects are together, you aren't getting independent information. Each is hearing what the other is saying, and you don't know which is one story and which is the other's, which makes total sense. And you know kids, you know, they like grandiose things, and they like to build on, you know, stories and things like that. So it can get messy real quick. Yeah, another another questionable procedure was, like you said, was letting Margie sit in the interviews and allowing her to actually sometimes lead them. Lead the interviews. Correct. She was asking some of the questions. So not only did he have no training in interviewing children, he was letting somebody else who has no police training whatsoever Mm -hmm. lead interviews too. Right. And and she was the we'll talk about it in a few sentences, but she was the outcry witness. So she's the one that broke the door wide open on all this stuff. So everything had been coming from her. And then now she was driving the questioning of these kids. 
So Stephen C.C. is a developmental psychology professor at Cornell University and an expert in the field of children's courtroom testimony. And he said, this is a very, imp- this is very improper from a forensic standpoint. He should have referred it to the Child Advocacy Center. They would never allow her to be sitting in the room. She's involved in the case. She's the outcry witness. Letting her sit there, the ranger doesn't give the kids an out to say, no, this did not happen because Margie is sitting right there. And not only is Margie just sitting right there, but also she is their essential mother right now, right? Like they have to go Mm -hmm. home with this lady. Yeah. Kemp has defended his techniques and stated that the purpose of his interview is not to obtain additional information, but to document by videotape what the children had said previously. Right. So this is just documentation. He said this was not a forensic interview. I had already been informed of all the information discussed in the interview. I just wanted it all documented, and I felt that if the children were at ease with Miss Contrell in the room, they would open up and tell me what I had already been told. Hmm. Seems suspicious to me. Yeah. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why weren't they recording in the first place? Right. In the video evidence, Margie can be seen looming over the children, stroking their hair, and nodding to them as they look at her and talk. Hunter covers his face with his hands, refusing to speak, and she reaches over, pulls his arms down, and takes his hand in hers. She prompts the children several times. In one instance, she asks who video cameraed. Hunter says, Jamie. Margie replies, let's see. I don't remember. Who else? And he states, booger. Mm -hmm. Like, what? It's just so crazy. It's just so crazy. Yeah. Maybe it's crazy because we know what happens at the end, right? I mean, maybe. But she's prompting them the whole time. Yeah. It just seems ridiculous. Like, you can see her shake her head no in some of the videos. Mm-hmm. And, yes, definitely shake her head yes to them. And, yeah, I don't know. It's a mess. Kemp, Kemp later admitted in court he never went to Booger Red's trailer, the site of the alleged sex kindergarten. And he didn't go to the club until nine months after beginning the investigation. Now, I'm not a police officer or a Texas Ranger. And frankly, when I think of Texas Rangers, I think of Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris, man. He would have went to, <laughs> First to the club. Thing. First oh, yeah. thing. He would have kicked that door open with a roundhouse kick. Mm-hmm. He would have been in right. there. He not this never- guy. No, he didn't go. <laughs> He never interviewed any swingers about this uh, child sex shows that they had allegedly witnessed, right? Because, okay, you got all these kids in there, but you don't have one person saying, oh, yeah, I saw them kids. And, of course, right. like, that's not something that you would want to really probably say. But after if there was, you know, 20 people there, somebody's going to be squealing. Oh, yeah. For sure. It's, it's just ridiculous. And there's so, nobody. Nobody. 
Kemp stated Wouldn't he- you also think though that if there's 20 people or however many people that were part of that that somebody would come up and be like that did not happen right or- I never saw anything like that but nobody did right I don't believe so I when in with the stigma that is was attached in Mineola to this place I mean geez think of our our writer friend yeah, burned at the he would have been coming after them. So it wasn't really a safe place for people to stand up and say no. No. Because they wanted to keep it secret that they were even a part of anything like that. But I think that it's also not that it doesn't happen, but I also think that just because you're a swinger and you want to have multiple different partners and everybody's consensual, that doesn't mean that you're in a some cult with, you know, children and doing all this nasty stuff like no i think swinging i'm pretty sure that the that is pretty common yeah i mean at the end of the day everybody's consenting and you're just doing it with other people and it's just happens to be they all congregate in the same area like (laughs) it's i don't know yeah there's nothing i mean back i guess back then there it was I have a hard time because we live in a pretty progressive place, which is really weird to say that Dayton, Ohio is pretty progressive because I'm certain places around here aren't. Um, But just like our circle and people we know and, you know, I feel like pretty progressive group here. Mm -hmm. So I don't know when I think about a swingers club, I'm like, okay. Like, good (laughs) for you. I hope you had a great time. Like, right. Like, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) That's totally fine. So it is hard for me to think about the fact that that could not be most of these people's viewpoints in this mm-hmm. town. They probably were like, oh, my gosh, these people worship Satan and are disgusting. And, yeah, they would all be guilty. And, of right. course, they had children there. <laughs> like, when I know somebody who is an acquaintance that confided in me that they are they as a couple are swingers and they have children and their children are safe and well taken care of and you know like it is it is not a reflection of how you parent or that you're a child molester if you're a swing like it's just it's all ridiculous it's all absolutely ridiculous to me it is anyway but that's just how the place was i guess you're right that's just how it was um And which is why we wouldn't survive there. Like, because I feel like even though we aren't. No, it couldn't be placed there now. (laughs) Yeah, we are not the, you know, Susie homemaker moms that they probably are expecting. (laughs) Right. The the fact that we have taboo or tattoos is probably like so taboo to them. And like, oh, my God, they probably worship Satan. Maybe back in the day. I don't know. I mean, we've never been to Mineola, but there it yeah. is. <laughs> I will not go. Tell you that right now. Um. Anyway, Kemp stated he didn't investigate the locations because so much time had passed that it would not have given him any evidence. And he did. <laughs> he did knock on one swinger's door several times, but nobody answered. So that was that. Case closed. <laughs> you knock on one person's door, they don't answer, and that's like the end. That is he knocked not on Texas. it several times, Allison. Several times. 
man, Chuck Norris is disappointed in you, Kemp. Like, that is not the stage that he set for Texas Rangers. Not at all. He never went to Booger Red's trailer. No. There, and if at there all. Is a, if there was, I could see there not being any evidence at the club, right? Like, they would probably right. clean that up. If there is a sex kindergarten going on in a trailer, you'd think that there would be evidence there of something nefarious happening. Like, right. something. Exactly. Like, some diagrams or some pictures that were colored with boobies. I don't know. Something. Something. July but, 2006. But we'll never <laughs> know. I'm sorry. One more thing. We'll never know because he didn't go there. He never went there. Okay, I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> July 2006, Kemp interviewed Shelby and Hunter again and also interviewed Gabby. Gabby repeatedly shook her head when asked about the sex kindergarten in the club, even when Margie and Shelby were in the room with her. They also interviewed Carly with Margie in the room, and she talked about Booger Red's kindergarten and described doing bad stuff in front of people taking silly pills and described some costumes they wore in their plays where she was a witch hunter was a bear and carly carly was a ghost she described some of the plays that didn't really make sense she claims in the witch play she flew around the room on a broom and they they specifically asked her like okay how did you fly around on a broom and she's like the air. Like she in her mind was on a broom and she was flying through the air on a broom. Like that didn't happen. They don't have right. the, the rigging for that. And if they did, it'd be there and nobody freaking looked for it. <laughs> it would have been easily found. May 2007, two years after Mineola police closed their investigation, Kemp brought the evidence before a Smith County grand jury. Mm. He is on the case and he is bringing it to the jury without doing any investigated work, really. <laughs> he did a lot of interviews. <laughs> he did. He really liked With the children. Mm -hmm. He did. But that's pretty much it. <laughs> that is where we leave you for part one. Lots to unpack. Lots. Yep. It's Already. What stop in. It really is. <laughs> so it in, really is. In part two, we will talk about the arrests that are made after he brings the evidence forward. Some of the trials. Um, a really... Uh, kind of segue into John Cantrell, who is Margie's husband, and a claim that was filed against him that caused him to have an arrest warrant placed on him. Um, and we'll also talk about some plea deals that were made and just their the kids and their future and what they're doing now mm -hmm. at this point. So, whoa. There's I, a lot more. Oh, uh, yeah. Is going on. Lots more. So let me cite my sources, and this will take about 15 minutes. Um, 
But number one was how to create a sex scandal, the HBO Max docuseries, highly recommend. Uh, I also use Daily Mail. I use Texas Monthly a lot. I'm not going to cite every single link, um, but I use that a lot. There was a person that had done a lot of stories um, about this case, and you are only allowed to get two free articles. So choose wisely. Because... <laughs> I'm not paying for it, um, but I was able just to, the two. I was able to get skirt around some of them. Um, what you do? Used... Use multiple emails? Maybe. Don't judge me. <laughs> you know I'm cheap. Um, I use da- uh, DallasObserver.com, KLTV.com, NBCFW.com, and CBS. NBCDFW. What did I say? That's what I said. Just FW. You skipped the D. Dallas Fort Fort Worth. You gotta say it all, girl. Oh yeah. <laughs> you skip the com. Dallas part. <laughs> and cbs19.tv.com. Oof. So let us know what you're thinking and feeling after part one. What do you think's going on here? And then uh, make sure you check out our merch store and get you something fancy and real nice. We got tie-dye. We do? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, we do. It looks sweet. With that mm. uh with that microphone logo on there. Mm. Yep. Good. Gonna have to uh, give me one of those. <laughs> yep. Don't forget to send us episode suggestions and we hope you enjoyed episode 157, the Miniola Swingers Club part 1. We hope you have a wonderful week and we will see you next time for part 2. Bye. Bye.